Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. everybody and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, the show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host Kilior, joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Sprattling. It's a special Valentine's Day edition of the show, so thanks to everyone who is tuning in. You're the real uh, Tunnel Vision OGs, if you will. <laughs> uh, we have a fun show for you guys today. We're going to talk about USC's winter workouts, what they're doing with new strength and conditioning coach Robert Steiner. We'll talk about scholarship math. Shotgun, or no, uh, Ryan, I know you like scholarship math yeah i don't know if i like it but we got to get, get <laughs> down diving into it i wanted to have the scholarship chart up by this weekend we'll have to get it up for tomorrow but we'll uh check that one it's kind of your thing i guess how about yeah, that i'm dragging it out like for the big release of this sure there you go <laughs> we'll also talk about and ryan put this in there usc hoops who did that crazy he also put a limit 60 seconds but we'll see it might be longer than a basketball minute shotgun you can <laughs> you can have some fun with that one as always you can call us 5124 tunnel we love talking to you guys you can also tweet at us hashtag hashtag tunnel vision i'll put your tweet up on the screen and wherever you're watching facebook uh periscope youtube put your comments questions concerns ryan and i are watching on Periscope. Shaka and I are watching everywhere else. Ryan, your Periscope, it, it's off and on. I'm on it today, right? I'm not, no, I got it. The Periscope's okay. right here. Uh, unfortunately, Periscope's going away in a couple of weeks. Like I got an email about it. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> so I don't know if it's going to just translate right to Twitter live because it's essentially we just tweet it out from there. So we'll, mm -hmm. we'll figure it out. But yeah, unfortunately, Periscope's been fun. So thanks to all the people that have been watching on Periscope. But hopefully you can watch on Twitter or YouTube or uh, Facebook going forward. Sure, yeah. Uh, so first off, like I said, let's start with USC's winter workouts. Ryan, I know you noticed the new slogan that they have. I'll put it up on the screen. They put out this graphic and it said, Tough Disciplined United. What were your overall thoughts, Ryan, from what we've seen social media-wise from USC's workouts? Yeah, so we're seeing Robert Steiner in there. You're seeing the guys working out. I mean, obviously the Boulevard Studio stuff is going. We'll have a video we can show you guys in a little bit. It's like 40 seconds of one of the latest ones they put out there. I don't know if this is going to be, you know, like Tough Discipline United, if that's going to be like a common theme until we get to spring football in early April. But that's just something I saw uh, recently. You know, we've seen some cool graphics. We've seen some cool videos. Hopefully they will make some of the media available to us. Some, some, you know, like they've done in workouts in the past where they'll put up pictures and we can kind of go through those and check it out. Because you want to see, I mean, the best part of this job has always been like, yeah, you cover the games and all that stuff, but I always love the off season stuff. I love the winter workouts. I love the summer workouts, 
those things are fun just to see how these guys would transform their bodies, how they're working together without the coaches and stuff around. We're getting snippets of it on social media, some of the Instagram stuff, but you can't really dive in and get a full feel of what's going on. But there's a lot of new faces. Um, you're, you're seeing guys, hard to see some faces because everyone has masks on all the time. But, you know, you want to see this stuff and see how guys develop, especially uh, some all of the right, Way to come in today and, and be able to really push the, yourself uh, you know, in here. The energy was great. The energy was great. Keep doing what you're doing, doing, doing man. Okay, when you guys come they in, I can see in your eyes the hunger. The hunger to be able to, to be able to take the next step. Yeah. Shotgun, do you have any thoughts from what we've seen so far on social media? I mean, it seems like that's going to be their mantra, the off-season mantra. You know, it changes every year. It's kind of like the recruiting class. You know, you had to take back the West. Now it's changed. Um, I don't even know what the new one is, but each class, you know, a lot of, there's a new slogan. Uh, a lot of times the, the year is being used in it for recruiting and stuff. So I think that's, you know, this is the next line on hashtag prep, not hype. If we remember that one from the Lane Kiffin days, you know, that one didn't work out so well for him. That was painted on the side, on the sidelines of Howard Jones Field. Uh, that didn't work out so well. That was the year they went from I think it was number one to unranked. Is that correct, Ryan? It was that same I think, year. I think, it, I think that was the year. The prep, not like they had the number one recruiting class, and it went. It just, yeah, it was, yeah, not good. Just, the ability to turn this into a negative somehow. Well, was I'm just saying that every there's off season mantras all the time. Sure. Um, you know, USC's overarching mantra has been faith, family, football. Um, you know, this tough, disciplined, um, and united. That's an interesting one. And, hey, maybe that's what they're really trying to focus on. And that would be great for them because what are the two biggest issues that we have in the USC football program that we say all the time? They need to be more physical. That's toughness. They need to be more disciplined. Stop getting so many penalties. So if you are actually attacking those two things, I think that that's a great thing for USC to be focusing on. Now, how are they attacking that? How are they going about it? That's really hard to say, you know, with the – the 40 minutes, 40 second uh, clips that we get on social media that are, you know, hand fed to uh, the, the graphics groom or whatever, you know, the, the video guys to, to make something positive out of it. You know, how are they going about that? We don't really know until we actually get to talk to Steiner. We hear him talk and say, you know, what, what's the focus in the offseason? What different workouts are we hearing from the players and stuff? That's when you'll find out stuff. So I'm not taking too much away from this besides the fact that these are two primary areas where they've struggled. So hopefully they are attacking those two areas. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. we're, we got to get a better feel. Shotgun seems a little negative today, by the way. I know it's Valentine's <laughs> today? Day, man. Be happy. <laughs> but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so I think from just the rumblings you're hearing, the workouts are definitely different than what they were doing before. We, we always talk about this, strength and conditioning coaches. You have different philosophies. You work on different things. Probably some things are more effective than others. I feel like these are different. There's there's a significant difference than from what like Aaron Osmus's plan was to Robert Steiner's plan. Is one better or worse? Like it's really hard to say. But there does seem to be they've mixed things up. I think they're doing some things differently. And then we'll have to see what the results look like. You know, when you look at these guys in spring football, hopefully, and then obviously when the season starts in the fall. Do you think there's gonna be any type of difference given the schedule changes just because of COVID? They had a longer season and now they're going to have a little bit longer to strength and condition uh, prior to spring camp. Is that going to be different at all? Maybe for the early enrollees? Probably helps a little bit. I mean, it's it's weird overall because you kind of have all those true freshmen that came in last year and then sort of joining the true freshmen from this year and the early enrollees and all those guys that are coming through. They're going to have a, a more significant chunk of time you know, with Robert Steiner to kind of get ready for spring football. If you remember two years ago, 
when Aaron Osmus came in, he came in pretty late. They were having like holdover strength staff kind of working the workouts until spring ball started. Like that was just really weird. Then obviously last year wasn't normal at all because they were doing workouts at home in the spring. So I feel like this extended time where they've already done like a season of these kind of weird masked workouts, um, I feel it's going to be beneficial. I mean, you would have loved to have Todd Orlando have more time with the defensive stuff going in last year. Now you do with the new strength and conditioning coach. Most of the coaches are coming back. So I feel like there's a lot of positives here as far as like getting ready for spring football. And if everything goes, you know, if they're, as long as, you know, numbers are good, every, they're just going to have spring football like, you know, you could have normally or as normal as possible. I feel like they're going to be in a much better spot heading into this one than they were before. Just having all that extra time with this new strength and conditioning staff. Yeah, I think that Aaron Osmus was put in an unenviable position. You know, you get a late start on, on that spring, and then last year you got no so spring. many, you got no <laughs> spring, and you got so many, you know, restrictions on what you can do, when you can do it. You know, trying to time out, uh, you know, groups around the sun. You know, because the bar, bell, barbells get too hot and stuff. You know, during the <laughs> middle of the day, uh, so it's much different. He wasn't in a great position. Steiner comes in. Things have you, you kind of developed a pattern with what you need to do. You know, they said the same thing at Notre Dame about how to deal with the COVID protocols and whatnot of going through your workouts. So you have a better idea. So I think he's in a much better spot than Osmus was when he came in. And like you said, starting earlier. And I think that you, you basically have a full freshman class coming in early. You know, so I'm counting the the ten guys last year, and now you add them to fourteen. Uh, the guys that are coming in early this year, and you got twenty four guys. So that's basically a full freshman class coming in. Now, a couple of those guys are transfers. You know, you got those ten from last year that are a year older and have a little bit of experience. But you know, just getting that extra time coming in and being able to practice in the spring, I think that's really huge for them. Um, so if they can have a regular spring ball camp, it's going to be huge. Yeah. You know, I talked about it on a couple of previous shows about how the offensive line. Everyone was moving last year except for Brett Nealon. Everyone moved to a different position from where they were. And they got one spring practice. So, you know, I think the fact that those guys more than likely will be in the same spots they'll be in. So they've got a little experience there now. But also now they actually get to work at that in practice for a full spring camp, a full offseason, and a full fall camp. And I think you'll see guys... We saw Liam Jimmins, and I was really high on him. I thought he could take another jump, and it didn't really happen last year. But I think he's a guy that does really well in the camp situation. He can learn and put things to uh, into effect really quickly, and I think that's going to really benefit him. He's a guy you might see take that jump we were expecting last year now that he gets those camp uh, opportunities. And for those young guys that are developmental guys, and that whole class last year was developmental guys, this is a great opportunity for them to develop. So I think the offensive line can be one of the groups that actually takes a big step forward. And, hey, it'll be attributed to, hey, Clay McGuire is doing so much better than, than Tim Drebno was. But I think he's in a much better situation to be able to help them develop. Whereas last year, it was just difficult for anyone with some of the restrictions they had. Not only you know just COVID in general, but also in California and how some other schools were able to, to practice in the in the fall and in the summer uh, before USC was. So I think that there's some advantages this year for this the new staff that's coming in uh, that the previous staff didn't have. We'll see if they actually take advantage of them and we see that development on the field. Mm-hmm. Real quick, Keely. So yeah. you think about it, you know, Aaron Osmus comes in, comes in really late, doesn't have like a normal spring to start his career as, you know, you know, new career as USC strength and conditioning coach. Has a pretty normal 2019 season, right? Except, you know, JT Daniels gets hurt in the very first game and all that stuff. But then doesn't, you know, the next year doesn't have a, a spring at all. Has to, te- you know, coach workouts from everybody's home and do all these individual things. 
and then has this really weird season that doesn't start till November 7th, and then gets let go. Like, he really didn't have a whole lot of opportunity to kind of implement what he wanted to do. So it's kind of weird when you think about it. It's just He just didn't have much because he came in so late and then had the pandemic for most of his, you know, two years at USC. Sure. I mean, to Shotgun's point, how much do you think that the defense could uh, improve just based on the fact that they will have more time now? They will have momentum based on, like, the chemistry we've seen, and now they actually have time to really work on that. Yeah, I think bringing the staff back uh, is important. I think, you know, you talk to some of these guys, and everyone seems pretty excited. I thought they got better as the six games shortened season went along. It seemed like things were figuring itself out. Maybe some players were, you know, like a guy like Pallier, you had high hopes for, it didn't really work out. You know, they're moving on. But, you know, the guys that were in there, you feel like they had a good feel for what was going on. You got to replace some studs uh, coming off this defense for sure. But it seemed like the system was kind of taking place uh, later in the season. Now you will have a whole offseason to implement everything. Um, You know, you have this new strength and conditioning coach kind of working and stuff. I'm sure he'll work with Todd Orlando and and Dante Williams and all those guys to kind of make sure that the, the guys' bodies are where they need to be. But having that opportunity to install everything again uh, throughout a spring football and, and let them go through the seven-on-seven stuff in the summer, practicing what they were taught instead of just like starting from scratch and just going at it and not really even knowing there was going to be a season. So I think it's going to be a big opportunity. It looks like schematically they were doing a lot of good things last year, and this will be just more opportunity to kind of install all that stuff and let the players run with it. Chuck, mm-hmm. you look like you want to add something. It'll be interesting to see how other teams in the Pac-12 adjust to Tarlando's defense in the next year. They'll have this tape. They'll be studying it, that type of thing. Uh, so going into next year, you know, there may be a little bit of counterbalance there as well, whereas USC defense may be playing a little bit better, but teams are on the scheme a little bit better. The players may be doing more, but the scheme isn't as effective um, as it was in surprising some teams. So we'll see how that kind of counterbalances. And if the players take that jump forward, then I think you can see the defense still perform really well next year as well. I will argue, though, it's not like it's Clancy Pendergast where we kind of know what we're getting each year. It, Todd Orlando was pretty creative throughout the six-game season, so maybe that creativeness will follow throughout the offseason. You never know. Yeah, we'll see. And speaking of defense, Ryan, you got to talk to Dante Williams this week. On It was like a combo of Lunch with the Trojan and Tunnel Vision. It was kind of both. But yeah. you got to talk to him. How was that? It was great. I mean, we got to talk to him, I think, back in May. I did a little one-on-one with him. And, uh, you know, he's awesome. Obviously, got the promotion recently, so he's now the associate head coach. So if, make sure you check out the interview. Chris did a nice little offshoot of it where, you know, at the end of the interview, I had him break down all six defensive back recruits plus the transfer coming in. So we kind of gave some thoughts on those guys. Uh, Anthony Beavers and Xavier Gordon. He's like, if you have masks on, they're hard to tell the difference. They're both these big guys that... Uh, and they're lifting a lot of weight. And, you know, some of the guys he wants to see sort of, uh, you know, build up their bodies. Some of the guys he likes the way they look uh, coming in. There's a bunch of them that are already on campus, so he's got an opportunity. A guy like Jalen Smith is only 17 years old, you know. He's, if you remember when Juju Smith-Schuster came in, he was really young. And so sometimes that's motivation for kids. But it's, that's an interesting part of it at the end when he breaks down all the different uh, recruits because they brought in a lot of DBs. But really just talking about the promotion and what that meant for him, the kind of opportunities he will have to work with both sides of the ball and, you know, kind of expand, you know, his recruiting role. He was the Pac-12 recruiter of the year two years in a row. He, he said he'd rather be the national recruiter of the year, not just the Pac-12. But he was third behind two, like, Alabama assistants, and they had the best recruiting class ever. So that would have that been tough for him to top one of those guys. <laughs> when it's, like, literally the best recruiting class anyone's ever signed 
Uh, but yeah, you know, Keeley put up the picture of the recruiting class and stuff, which is cool. Uh, but he talked about flexibility was one of the big things from last year, not knowing you were going to have a season, uh, what you had to do, basically everything from recruiting where there was no visits to practices, to workouts, to what you were preparing for games. You just had to be flexible. And I think that was something that every coach, every player had to be. Uh, you know, he talked about that stuff as well. But it was a really uh, great conversation, maybe a half hour or so. He was, he's just, he's fun to talk to you and you can understand why he's such uh, a great recruiter out there. So I make sure you go check it out. We put it up uh, last week. But definitely for the tidbits on what he said about each player, I thought was uh, really interesting. And even with Robert Steiner, he was part of the interview process for that. So when they brought him in, he, he's one of the guys that got to talk to him. He's pretty, he's, he's really high on what Steiner can do. So seems like they've put a lot of, you know, good pieces in place. And I think the, you know, promotion for someone like Dante Williams, who's so important to this recruiting class, you needed this class. You needed a, a top 10 class after having a pretty bad one in 2019 and then a, you know, terrible one in 2020. It was, you know, it was a really good one in 2021. Mm -hmm. And Dante Williams was a big part of that. Mm -hmm. Shotgun, you look primed to say something. Yeah, I haven't got a chance to watch the Dante Williams interview, so I can't gleam anything from it. Uh, you know, Dante, it was interesting. You know, on my my podcast last week, I had Malik James, who runs the Premium Sports uh, program, the Seven on Seven organization that produced Corey Former and Rajon Davis, Miller Moss, Jalen Smith, uh, on and on. You know, in the last couple of years, has produced a number of talented players in Southern California. And I thought it was interesting that he was talking about Dante, and I didn't even know this going into the interview, that Dante is a mentor to him. And, you know, he was talking about how Dante was his coach and I think El Camino College, um, and Dante was like 22 then. So he was a young guy, and already everyone kind of gravitated towards him and the way he could speak to everyone and reach everyone. And Malik had some really interesting stories about how he, you know, had always been kind of the best player and didn't want to, you know, take the coaching from uh, Dante Williams initially. And Dante Williams challenged him, and he found a way to get to Malik. And it was a way different than maybe he would get to someone else. And, and you know, that's one of the things that it stands out about Dante is the way he's able to connect with so many people in different ways. I think that's why he's such a good recruiter. So if you haven't checked out the, the podcast, I thought there were some really interesting things in there uh, with Malik talking about, you know, his relationship with Dante Williams and watching him grow and progress and, you know, what he thinks of, uh, you know, what Dante Williams can do at USC. So... Uh, if you haven't checked out that, you know, check that out as well. But, you know, Dante Williams is definitely, as Clay Helton said, he's, you know, setting the bar for the rest of the group. You know, he's elevating the rest of the room around him and forcing everyone else to com compete and recruit at the same level. And you're seeing that not just with him, but Vic Soto and Craig Nivar in particular on the defense side have done a really good job so far. Now you bring in another guy on the offensive side. Nice transition. Who Keeley gets to, can talk about a little bit with Brian Carrington. You bring him in, and hopefully he can do the same thing on the offensive side uh, of the ball. You know, elevating the entire room as far as recruiting and as far as you know that energy and swagger that you know you've seen on the defensive side the last year. Yeah. yeah. Before we jump into that, I just sure. got to give Keeley props. Great one-on-one -on -one interview. You guys make sure you guys go check it out. Uh, it's really well written. Uh, a lot of great insight. I just put up a video. We're just talking. So Kelly had to write this stuff down. <laughs> but it's really good sure. stuff. And it's, it just shows you. When we talked about this new athletic department coming in and hitting a bunch of singles. This is another one. This is one that this wouldn't have happened before. No. You're going out and getting a great 
you know, addition to your support staff. And they've just built it out a lot from the Marshall Sherrington's, you know, you got the Gavin Morris's, but you needed more people like that. Yeah. Now there's more people like that. And, and Brian Carrick is definitely one of them. He's definitely one of them. So I got to talk to him this week and he's just a really fun guy to talk to. And I kind of, whenever I do an interview, I kind of stop people beforehand. So I really know what to talk about. And so his life history is really interesting. He basically worked his way up. He was a student at the University of Houston and loved recruiting from an early age and then just kind of emailed the, the new staff that was coming in who was uh, started by Tom Herman. I was like, hey, I know the campus at Houston. Can I help out at all? And then just worked his way up and he became a guy that like top recruits wanted to see when they got on campus and he was still a student worker. So he really worked those relationships. And so then when Tom Herman went to Texas, he uh, tabbed Brian as a guy that needed to come over with him. And then he started as assistant director of person player personnel then got promoted to director of recruiting, uh, just signed back-to-back uh, -back number three classes for uh, Texas in 2018-2019. So he, he hit the ground running and he was like, I, I asked him, like, you were pretty comfortable in Texas. You were the director of recruiting. You have a lot of relationships with guys. And he was like, yeah, but I keep wanting to push myself. And I wanted to get into coaching somehow. And, and USC kind of just presented this opportunity for me. So I thought it was interesting the way that he wanted to just make a bigger push for himself because he ultimately reached his goal of becoming a director of recruiting way faster than he imagined. So it was just interesting how USC had to kind of sell him on that coaching position. But I know Texas really wanted him to stay. So for him to come over to USC, there was something about USC that made him um, want to come over. So he, clearly he sees something that's being built at the USC program. And so uh, I just thought it was interesting to talk to him for a bit. So, yeah. It was cool because you talk about basically how he was recruited, right? He was yeah. like on an official visit yeah. uh, to USC and he was like, the whole staff is here. This is great. And they got rid of most of the Texas staff. Sark's obviously a great recruiter. He's going to do good things at Texas for sure. But he knew, you know, Todd Orlando. He knew Craig Nivar. Yeah. He knew Graham Harrell. He actually, you know, he talked to Clay Hilton like every day. They really put the full court press on him. And he, he got to the point where it feels like he knew the USC staff kind of better than the Texas staff, which is a little weird. But, that, you know, that's the behind the scenes work that they're doing. To, but I think it's a big get to get someone like that. Yeah. And, uh, make sure you guys check out the story. It's yeah. Good. Even though we probably just told the whole story right now. But yes. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. You're fine. I'm just joking. But yeah. No. Uh, There's plenty more in the story. Sure. But he, he, he's been recruiting for years and holding visits for years. And he was like, I was the one being offered a visit. And so he was like, I knew what to look for. And it was crazy. He was like, whoever put it on did a great job. So it was just interesting to talk to someone who had an unfamiliar experience. So, uh, Check that out for sure. Um, is it time? Wait, 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 wait. Before we go on, Carrington, if you guys are, are curious about him, if you're you're hesitant about you know jumping in and being excited about a guy, let me just tell you on this. This is what sold me immediately on the guy. He got Ed Oliver to come to Houston. You know, Ed Oliver is a five-star guy who's a number six overall in the composite rankings to Houston. In AAC, when's the last time you even could think of a player going to a non-Power 5 that's a five-star player, much less a top 10 player? And he was a student at the time. He was a student worker. I mean, the best story is uh, the one that I think is on 24-7 Sports about him that was said that, you know, when Ed Oliver came on a visit to campus, he said, Where, where's Carrington? Where's he at? I, I got to see him. He's my guy. Where's he at? Oh, he, he can't come right now. He's in class. <laughs> what? He's a student, full-time student, and he's reeling in a five-star and being, you know, one of the primary guys on that to a, you know, a group of five school. That 
you know, that should tell you everything you need to know about his recruiting chops right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that was really interesting. Trek asked a, a question for which Keely can answer right now sure. since we're on it. But how do you think that, that he'll work out? And more, what are his strengths? Basically, how will he help out the USC? Well, I mean, he's going to be an offensive quality control assistant under Mike Jink. So he'll be uh, helping out on the recruiting side on the offense, which we know that USC has a ton of firepower on defense as far as recruiting. Having some on the offensive side, I think, will only help USC. But he's the type of guy who, I mean, he got injured in high school playing football. So he it wasn't like he played D1, but yet he's relating to D1 players all the time through his process of recruiting. It's something where he just kind of adapted and he, he said he likes being a sponge. So I don't really doubt that him putting his mind to trying to be a coach will be a, an issue for him just because of how fast he's risen through everything else he's wanted to do. So uh, I just think his work ethic and his people skills will just help USC in all aspects. But the fact that he's just such an ace recruiter uh, and is linking up with guys like Dante and and, and Gavin, it's just going to be a boost for USC in that sense. So, And the connection that he is going to be working with Mike Jinks. Yeah. Where has USC really struggled recruiting recently? Offensive line and running backs. So that's one of the spots where I think he can really help out being on the offensive side. We'll see if their offensive line recruiting also picks up with him you know, helping out and kind of, like I said, can he help elevate the entire offensive staff uh, recruiting-wise like Dante and some of those guys have done on the defensive side? Yeah. Here's exactly. the thing, too, with people that are like, any move that USC makes, oh, it doesn't matter. Clay Helton's still the coach, blah, blah, blah. Like, just for, like, we talked about this, the whole hitting singles thing. You're trying to build the program. Picture USC with whoever you want as the head coach. Say it's Urban Meyer. I don't care. Whoever you want to say is like the head coach. He's the head coach. What kind of moves would you want them to make in the offseason? Like, I think this would be one of them. You're get, Oh, you're going to go get like one of the best recruiters in the country from Texas, so they got all this momentum with Sark coming in there and all this stuff. That's like a big boy move. So I feel like you can say, oh, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. Well, it does matter. You're trying to build a championship program, right? Yes. Okay, you, you, you can argue whatever you want to say about the head coach, but the moves that are being made around are much better than what we've seen in years past. If you want to see USC act like USC, you're at least seeing some stages of the program doing that. You're seeing them act like a big boy again. This is something a big boy program would do, not just, oh, we have Gavin Morris, we're fine, we don't need anybody else. Go out and get a whole bunch of really good guys to, to make it better. And they're, it's going to provide better results on, on the, uh, you know, out the recruiting trail. And whoever's the coach, you know, we saw Sark leave. I mean, uh, you know, Herman get fired and Sark come in there. You wanted Herman to be able to recruit. You wanted him to have two top three classes in a row because you want Sark to take over and have a bunch of talent there too. So you want to make sure the program is running on all cylinders and getting hires like this, making hires like this, I think it's a positive. USC fans should look at it as a positive because they're acting like a big boy when they're doing things like this. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, is it time for scholarship math, Ryan? <laughs> yeah, we can do that. Just real quick, I'll put this stuff up. But uh, the, the weird thing is, if you remember, we started doing this back in the, uh, the sanctioned days because then you had to understand, hey, what does this mean? USC can only recruit 15 players a year instead of 25, and they can only have a, a max of 75 scholarships this year is a little different we know for the you know for 2021 any seniors that return to your roster won't count so it could be a redshirt senior or a regular senior right now usc has 14 returning seniors so those 14 will not count towards the 85 scholarship limit right with my math right now if everyone comes back no more transfers in or out i have usc at 96 players on scholarship so that's more than the 85 but only 14 of them 
um, don't count. Now, there is a senior, Katie Nixon, who's on the roster, but he transferred in from Colorado. We put some information about this in the war room. If you are a senior and you transfer to another program, you do count towards that 85 limit. So if Katie Nixon stayed at Colorado, he wouldn't have been a counter. He comes to USC, so he will be a counter. So one of USC seniors will count towards the 85. So basically they have 82 players on scholarship under the eight. So there's still three under the 85. They could bring in a couple more if they want. Even though it's a huge freshman class, right now we have 49 players that are freshmen, or, you know, true freshmen or redshirt freshmen. It's essentially because none of the freshmen that came in from the class of 2020 advanced. Nobody advanced their, um, their class uh, this past year because of the pandemic. So it's a huge freshman class uh, right now, 49 players. 21 I have as sophomores and only 11 uh, juniors. So there's going to be this kind of bubble. We don't know what the NCAA is going to do going forward. The relief that you get, you know, the pandemic relief or whatever, is your seniors don't count in 2021. They're going to go away next year, but people are still going to have basically an extra recruiting class kind of, you know, wedged in there somewhere. And we're not sure what the NCAA is going to do about that. But for right now, you just know the seniors aren't going to count. 14 of those returning seniors for USC will not, but they're going to be, you know, they're up there. They're going to have more than the regular scholarship. If all these guys, you know, stay to play, you know, they could have 96 guys on scholarship, which is, uh, we haven't really seen before. Shotgun, that means more people for you to track in the upcoming season. True. Uh, that also means that, uh, you know, there's going to be more competition. So you should see, and, and college baseball season starts next week. And that's one of the things they had the same thing happen from the spring. And, you know, doing some previews and stuff uh, for the other side I write for, that's what you're seeing is, like, the ta- the depth of talent throughout conferences is going to be much stronger. So next year you're going to see you're going to see depth of talent throughout. So the competition is going to be a high, at an all-time high level just because you have that many more bodies that are added in, an extra recruiting class. So now you have, instead of five years of recruits, you have six years of recruits, you know, including your redshirt seniors and stuff. So, you know, it's going to be extra bodies in there. There's more competition, which means – you got, it's going to be that much more difficult to get that playing time. You're going to have more people upset. How are you going to manage the roster with people being upset about not getting playing time? How are you going to manage the reps in practice? All these things are going to come up next year that you're, you're going to hear stuff about around the country is how do we kind of deal with all these extra pieces? You know, how do we get opportunities for guys in practice, but also in games? You know, how do you do that? You know, there was, you had the four game limit and coaches were super excited about, you know, that the freshmen could play for four games and still be a red shirt. Um, and you know, getting them getting their feet wet type of thing. Now you're going to have you know all those all those guys that got their feet wet this year in whether it was four games or five games or six games the entire season for USC. Now those guys are included. You got guys that are freshmen. There's going to be their third year in the program. So you know, once the you know this class leaves, how does the NCAA deal with that? That's going to be a big question mark. I think they'll probably do some kind of tier system. Or, okay, you get five extra, you get 10 extra, and you kind of whittle it down for a couple of years. I think that's the best solution. Otherwise, you're going to be pushing a bunch of kids out here in the next year if they just go straight back to, okay, it's 85 next season. Yeah. Yeah, what do you anticipate for that, Ryan? I kind of think that's what's going to happen with what Shotgun said. It's pretty easy to just say seniors don't count. But you're going to have this big bubble going through. Of You know, if you look at this, the, the, you know, every time you break down the classes, like, 49 players in one class. Now, some guys are red shirt and stay behind. But you're either going to have to, like, force guys out, guys medically retire, things like that. And I don't think the NCAA wants that on a mass scale, like, essentially eliminating, 
you know, 15, 20 scholarships at some point throughout the next couple of years, or you make you give some grace and they say, okay, you could have 90 this year or, or 95 and, and kind of, yeah. But, but that's, that's still 96 players on scholarship. So let's say, uh, you know, it's, it's more it, the, for budget wise, you know, you have a, a department that's uh, been, you know, the budget's been screwed up a little bit. Now you're paying for more guys on scholarship too. So True. there's a couple of, you know, aspects to this. Yep. Which is why you may see, you know, some programs say, hey man, We've loved having you here, yeah. but you know you're a fifth year guy. We don't see you making the field. Yeah. We need you to kind of move on, basically. Yeah. You know, just because of the money wise, you might see some programs do that. Um, to go back to baseball, baseball is a little bit different because you know it's a, not a full ride uh, sport like f uh, football and basketball is. But one of the things the NCAA did is they expanded the rosters this year. You can have as many players on the roster as you want. And then next year, the I think the roster limit, if I'm, I'm trying to get the numbers off the top of my head, but I think it's 35 normally. Um, and then, you know, next year, I think it's going to be 40 and then 38 and then back to 35. So they're going to do it in a tiered system. So they've shown that they will do that with another sport, which is why I think that's what you'll probably see in football, where there's a bit of a tiered system there um, to where they're not basically like kicking a bunch of people out of the program to whittle down rosters um, in, in baseball and then potentially in football. Just out of curiosity, you think injuries will be somehow different next season just because you have more bodies, or is it still about best players playing and whatnot? It depends on how coaches go about it. You know, if you feel like, hey, I've got multiple talent players, and again, I need to get some guys reps, I need to get them our opportunities, or do you go kind of how Clancy Pendergast was, and I've got my 11 guys, and maybe for particular packages, we'll use two or three other defenders, but we're not getting beyond 13 or 14 guys that are playing in a game. It all comes down to the trust the, play, the coaches have in players. That's the big thing. You know, if you you got all these older guys now, you ha may have more trust in those older guys. So you feel like you can give them those extra opportunities, guys that hadn't played a ton in the past. It, it's going to be hard to say just off the top. It's just going to depend on personal preferences with coaches, I think. Mm -hmm. Ryan, any thoughts on that? I think with uh, you're gonna, because the freshman class is so big, there's a lot of inexperienced guys. I think for the most part, it's going to work the same way as you see the guys on the field. If there's like a stud freshman that could come in and play, come in and play. But a lot of those guys are just going to be reserves. They might be on the scout team. What do they do when you see them on the field? They get the four, you can play in four games and still get your red shirt here. Are they going to, if you're blowing teams out, you're probably going to have a lot of opportunities to show, but you need to do that. You need to blow teams out to get these opportunities for these young freshmen to come in and play because you essentially have two freshman classes now. A lot of guys you want to see get on the field, if it's the offensive lineman, I think, what is there, like 19, I think, uh, yeah, there's 19 offensive linemen in there. I mean, there's a ton of freshmen. There's like 11 freshmen or something like that. You want all those guys an opportunity to play in a few games, you need to blow some teams out and stuff and get guys in, in the rotation. So I think that'll be interesting to see how you, I don't think it's going to change, you know, oh, we're going to use a whole bunch more guys because we have 96 players on scholarship. It's just, you have a lot of young players on scholarship. How do you get them some experience? Because they all get an opportunity if they, you know, play those four games and still redshirt. Mm -hmm. Now, Ryan, brace yourself. It is time for the USC Basketball Minute. I did write this myself. You said did. It. It's important. I know, but it's a bit, and we have to keep the bit up, even if USC <laughs> is number one in the Pac-12. Okay? People are tweeting me because when USC beat UCLA, they're like, Ryan didn't even know what's going on. I'm like, I watched the game, guys. Come on. I think it'll... No, because you tweeted something against Shaka, and I was like, are you even allowed to tweet about this? And it got like oh, 80 favorites. So yeah, I was like, okay, well. Like see, it's it, the yeah. bit, Ryan. You just got to go with it. I was like, work the ball inside a little bit. Like, oh, they packed it inside. I'm like, who cares? Like, 
They he were working the ball inside and then passing it out for the threes, and they just weren't hitting the wide open threes. They were just passing it around the outside. They weren't working. No, they were. <laughs> anyway. I thought you said you watched the game. I did. <laughs> Shotgun, you had mentioned prior to this road trip that the Washington schools are something that maybe USC basketball, the pass could have dropped. Uh, they didn't, though. They came out unscathed from the trip. What was your takeaways from uh, these last two games? Well, before the, the trip, I said that this was a very important week for USC just because those two teams are resume deflators, especially Washington. They just have a really low net ranking. If you want to be a top seed, if you want to, rather than being on that cut line of worrying, are we going to get in, are we not, being a bubble team, do you want to be a five or six seed or a four seed where USC is kind of pushing themselves right now to be, you got to take care of the teams that are lower in the conference and have you know low rankings that are going to pull down your metrics. And they did. They took care of business. It wasn't pretty all the times. They struggled a little bit early against Washington, but then they got in a groove and figured it out. Uh, Washington State, this was a game, and in, during the game, there was, I think it was four minutes and 55 seconds left. Washington State hits a three, cuts it to two points. And, I, and Annie Infield called a timeout, and I said, this is the kind of situation where they should be up by double digits. They've let a team hang around. It's a road trip. It's a difficult road trip, especially with the COVID protocols. You're basically in a hotel for four straight days type of thing that they might let this one slip away. That's what the, some team, any infield teams in the past would have done. And he admitted that after the game. I asked him about it, and he said, yeah, this is the type of game that we, we may have lost in the past. But they're so good defensively. They're one of the top ten defenses in the country by several different metrics, you know, defense efficiency, some other things. That They're able to shut down a team completely. And even though USC didn't – they had one field goal in the last six and a half minutes or so. And that was in the, in the last 30 seconds on a dunk that you know, the game was already decided. But they took care of the ball. They didn't turn it over. They didn't have any turnovers in the last nine minutes, even though they had a ton in the first half. And they hit their free throws. Everyone complains about the free throw shooting, but down the stretch in this game, they made 11 of 14 to put the game away, even though they didn't have a field goal until that last 30 seconds. They still score, outscored Washington State easily because of making their free throws. And they played terrific defense. They continue to play terrific defense over and over. And it's all because of Evan Mobley in the middle. He changes everything for them defensively and offensively. But it starts with him. And why I've changed my opinion, you know, on one of my first podcasts I was asked, or maybe it was Chris Trevino on our Family Feud podcast, was was Evan Mobley the front runner for the Pac-12 Player of the Year? Yeah, it was Family Feud. I think he is now. Because not only is he putting up similar numbers offensively as a bunch of guys that are you know in contention, but his presence defensively changes everything. You know, he blocked five. He blocked five shots against Washington. He was only credited for three. It's terrible how block shots are tracked in the NCAA. Uh, but then he blocked six against Washington State. Probably had seven in that game. Another one that was missed. But he's, he swats things away. But he changes everything because when teams drive in the middle, they know he's there. They know he's going to affect everything. And the rest of the defense around him can play to that strength. They can force guys. You know, they can run at really strong at uh, outside shooters and force them to drive in the lane and then bring them into Evan Mobley and have him do that. So he's changing the game defensively for USC, and that's what is different about this team versus any other team that any infield has had and why they're a team right on the cusp of being a you know a top 16 seed. So the NCAA, new thing they're doing this year, the selection committee, similar to the college football playoff selection shows they have where they, you know, rank the teams and say, oh, let's see who moves and whatever – they're doing. They did an early bracket reveal for the top four seeds um, across the across the four quadrants. So top sixteen teams, no Pac twelve teams. USC should they be in there? The selection committee chair said that you know they were in a lot of the discussions. They were heavily considered. Uh, so USC's right there. They're basically a five seed right now. If you take that, what I would take away from that conversation, 
one of the four seeds lost on Saturday. USC won, so maybe they're up in that. But they're up in that conversation. If they're a four seed, that's a set ties for the second best seed they've ever had in the program history. Wow. So they were a two seed in 1991 with Harold Miner, I believe it was, or 1992. Um, but besides that, they've had one other four seed, one other five seed. That's the best they've done. So right now, they're sitting pretty as far as where they're at. They're, they're one game up on UCLA in the Pac-12 standings. They're two games up on Colorado after they lost a bad – took a bad loss to Cal last night. Two and a half up on Oregon State – I mean, on Oregon, who's still in striking distance as well because they have some games to make up. So USC is in a good position, but they've got a tough stretch going on. And it starts this week against Arizona State and Arizona at home, um, and then they eventually go on a three-game road trip to end the season – Colorado, Utah, where they've really struggled in the past, and then at UCLA, who's going to want some revenge after USC, you know, beat the crap out of them without a couple of their post players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, Mark on YouTube says this is more than a minute. LOL. Yeah, <laughs> you're right, Mark. Sorry. Mark always complains though about basketball. Okay. He's like Ryan. I like him. <laughs> but hey, they're top. Tw- they were ranked 20 last week. Uh, they'll be. Uh, they'll move up a couple spots this week as well. There were a couple teams that lost in front of them. That'll come out tomorrow morning. So USC, they're playing great right now. They're doing it with defense. And when you have Evan Mobley in the middle, if you guys aren't watching, you should check out and just watch him, watch his highlights. He's going to be the number one or number two pick in the NBA draft coming up. Uh, He's a special player. And, you know, if you listen to my first, heard it on the Sidelines podcast with Chris Capco, he said, potential Hall of Famer. Well done. All right. Nice plug too, Shotgun. You're just I'm throwing my plugs in. Yeah. all over it. <laughs> all right. Uh, before we jump into questions, I we have a live caller. I believe it is our buddy uh, Dave from Iowa. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision. What's up, Tunnel Vision? First thing I gotta say is shout out to my boy Jack Harlow. USC used him in them signing announcements. Just saying, he's probably gonna be doing a couple of Super Bowl halftime shows. So y'all better study up some Jack Harlow. But in all seriousness, um, in terms of recruiting, with Dante Williams doing so well, noticing that other top recruiters in the country after a year or two usually go elsewhere, do you think we see Dante being any time uh, within the next three years if he's been promoted to, like, say, defensive coordinator or anything like that? Thanks for the question, Dave. Um, well, obviously, we don't know which direction USC is going to go as far as the head coaching stuff. You know, that's going to be a big part of what's going on here, but. The fact that he was promoted to associate head coach, I think he really likes it in Southern California. If there was a change at the head position, I mean, he's probably one of those coaches that you'd want to keep around, you know, as far as, you know, being the the ace recruiter on the staff. I I think if he wants to stay around, um, you know, if Clay Helton's here for the next five, ten years, or if they go in another direction in a year or two, I feel like he would have that opportunity uh, to do that. I don't know if he would need to be a defensive coordinator tomorrow or anything, but um, you know, I, I think he has aspirations to go out and 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 rise the you know, rise up the the, the ranks. But I think he's got some good opportunities at USC. So my my guess would be he's going to stick around uh, for a, he'll be here for a while. But I don't know what you think, Shotgun or Keeley. I mean, it depends on you know his relationship with the other the rest of the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. You know, if he feels like he's working for a defensive coordinator where he's really excelling and the defense is really excelling, then Maybe he doesn't jump. Um, you know, sometimes there's always a question with assistant coaches jumping to a smaller job. It's like, do you got to make sure you're taking that right job, though. And so if you're jumping to a defensive coordinator position, depending on what the school is offering, you know, what schools are offering you, 
you got to make sure it's the right one because you don't want to get stuck kind of, you know, in, in bogged down in your career. You don't want to spend five or six years and you'll know, go to a smaller school or whatever and, and not be able to, to build up from there. And then suddenly, you know, similar to, you know, some coaches that go take a, you know, a Mac job or something like that, thinking, oh, this is my first head coaching job. I'll rise in a couple of years. And when they don't succeed, now you're bouncing back and trying to work your way back up again. So you kind of feel like, oh, I lost five years or I lost eight years or whatever it may be. That can be a long time, obviously. Uh, so it, I think it will depend on the right, the, the personnel around him, how he gets along with those coaches. Uh, the money is always going to be a factor. And, you know, what opportunities are out there? If it's the right opportunity, then, you know, I think he could, could go somewhere. Yep. I think it's whether or not he believes in what's where he's at and if it's going positive for him. And because I feel like he could go pretty much anywhere and get a job just based on his recruiting job. So, yeah. but he, is he going to be able to go anywhere and get a defense coordinator job? Sure, That's a different but, question. But he doesn't want to stay at USC because no one else wants him, is my point. Sure. You know? No, he'll have opportunities. I think he likes it in Southern California. He's, there was a family reason to move back. If he can be the ace recruiter and associate head coach at USC going forward, I, I think that's going to be enough for him for the next few years. But obviously, you know, there's, we'll see. We'll see how he does on the field. We'll see how he does recruiting. And, you know, he could get big offers other places too going forward. Mm -hmm. All righty, let's jump into questions. First off is Coley White, who says, uh, Oregon starting quarterback, uh, Tyler Shuck. Shuck, Shuck yeah. yeah. It's weird not one. spelled that way. Yeah, so, I know. Yeah. Uh, placed himself in the transfer portal. Why would a starting quarterback do this? And what Pac-12 team would be most attractive to him? It's very interesting because he was the starter. I mean, they, you know, he won the Pac-12, you know. I mean, they went to the Fiesta Bowl, and he's out. And uh, there wasn't – there's not like there's this heir apparent there. They're not even sure who's going to come in. It could be a true freshman. Um, there's – it's a very weird situation. I haven't heard exactly why John Wilner, I think he does a great job covering the Pac-12, wrote about it a little bit. Puts the Pac-12 North in a little more doubt. Uh, it's not like he tore it up, but he was the most efficient quarterback in the Pac-12, if I'm not mistaken. This past year, he does spell his name weird, so I'm glad he doesn't have to be in the Pac-12. Anyway, it's it's shuck. It's not like what what do you like shuck? Where does the, there's no shuck in there? I don't know where it's from. I don't. My guess is not he's, he's not going to go to the Pac-12 team. Um, I think you know if he was going to stay in the Pac-12, I thought it would be at Oregon. So we'll see where he ends up. But there's a lot of good dudes from the Pac-12. Uh, in the transfer portal. I mean, you got Grant Gunnell, who's, uh, you know, the quarterback from Arizona, is also in there. Is he it's, still in the portal? I think he is. I don't uh. think he's uh, picked a place yet. Uh, oh, maybe he did. Maybe he, uh, I don't know if he, he committed somewhere or not yet, but I have to check it Shotgun's out. Shotgun's looking at right so, Yeah, thanks, <laughs> Shotgun. For looking. Uh, but it's, it's definitely a weird one. And to me, the only thing I thought about this was USC should still be the favorite to win the Pac-12 because – this is an Oregon team. They rebuilt their offensive line this past year, but they're all, I think they're all coming back now. Um, they got running backs coming back. They got weapons. I feel like this was a good opportunity. Now you're going to be, and you know, as far as like coordinator stuff goes, Oregon and Washington got new coordinators. I like Oregon's better. I think they're in a better position, but losing your starting quarterback, I think that's going to be a significant setback uh, for the Ducks. You had to replace Herbert, who was end up, you know, end up being the rookie of the year in the NFL. Shuck looked pretty good, and now you got to replace him too. So it's just a thing. And, and, you know, Oregon's going on the road, and you're playing Ohio State. Washington's going on the road and playing uh, Michigan. USC has Notre Dame, uh, but it's not, you know, the same kind of thing. I just feel like this is another good opportunity for USC, a much easier schedule, and your big rival in the North is losing their starting quarterback. You got your guy coming back for the third year. So 
no excuses. I mean, I think the USC should win the Pac-12 again. And, and this, this news about Tyler Shuck uh, transferring out only helps that. Shaka was making some faces while you were talking. I mean, I, did you guys watch him in the Pac-12 championship? He just he did not look very good. I know he put up good numbers earlier in the season, but a lot of their offense was predicated on getting guys wide open with a lot of different motions and you know some different actions that created you know confusion with the defenses, especially in a COVID year. You know you have guys that just aren't fully prepared on defense, and they got some wide open throws. I you know watching scanning through some of the plays that I saw in the season, I didn't see any like big time you know Justin Herbert type throws. Um, and then in the Pac-12 championship, he did not look good at all. I mean, he was 8 of 15 for 91 yards, threw an interception, almost threw another one. Uh, his touchdowns he threw were basically wide open guys. In the And in the holiday, was the holiday Fiesta Bowl Fiesta. they were in, he threw nine times, which tells you they lost confidence in him throwing. Uh, part, uh, you know, bringing in, uh, was it Anthony Brown was, was the quarterback that came in? I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, the kid from uh, Boston College. Yeah. You so know. they brought him in and started using him in the Pac-12 championship, using him in a different package. I think he saw the writing on the wall is why he ended up leaving, is that, hey, they're taking away my snaps more and more as the season progresses. And that was, you know, after they lost two games back-to-back, they lost to Oregon State, they lost to Cal. Oregon State threw two interceptions. Uh, Cal, he, he, he threw for 54%. So I think defenses started seeing what the offense was doing. Those guys weren't wide open anymore, and it made it much more difficult, and he wasn't making those high-level throws. They've got some young guys coming in. I think he saw the writing on the wall and said, okay, or maybe they even told him, said, it's probably not going to be you next year. So if you think it's best for your career to go somewhere else, maybe you should look at that. Yeah. Uh, going back to Grant Gannell, he's at Memphis now. Okay. All I gotta say is don't hate on someone for their last name, Ryan. I have a weird last name. You can't hate on people. But you're you look at your, it's like that's okay, that makes sense. Like Shuck. No. Shuck doesn't make sense. <laughs> no, it doesn't make sense. Uh, let's go to a question from Jesse who said, Do you expect Todd Orlando will have a better second year of success than Graham Harrell had on offense? I do. Yeah, I think uh, it was disappointing on offense for the second year for uh, Graham Harrell. Not that it was terrible, but it just we thought it was going to be a lot better. I think the defense will be significantly better. And part of it is you just didn't have all the prep going into it. They got better throughout the season. I think the offseason they'll get better too. Yeah, I think the difference is, you know, the offseason training camps and whatnot. Um, you said that the offense wasn't as good as we expected. I don't think the offense is as good as they expected. I thought yeah. they I think they really expected that big jump in the second year as well. They've talked about it, yeah. And it didn't happen. Um, getting Keaton's slowest right, you know, I think the offense will take that jump next year if they can Run the ball a little bit, keep Keaton Slovis upright, and then therefore he won't lose his confidence a little bit and be able to make the throws. So if you get him back right, then things turn around pretty quickly there. Defense, there are some question marks, though, because you're losing some very key pieces with Marlon Tuipolotu. You're losing a five-star at all three levels. Yeah. Tuipolotu, Naitiote, and Hufunga leaving at those three levels. You're losing your top cornerback as well and Elijah Griffin. So do you fill in those pieces? And I think USC can but there are a little, a little bit of question marks there. But, again, it goes back to training. And I think having an actual off-season training and new off-season workouts and all that, I think the defense will be better. Mm-hmm. To your point, Ryan, Jose on YouTube said, did the defense get better or did other teams just get worse? <laughs> um, no, the USC didn't have the toughest schedule for sure. But I think that if you just watch what USC was doing, I think they were doing better things. And it was – it was just tough coming out of the gate the way they did. Uh, obviously, a couple lucky, you know, lucky opportunities to beat Arizona State and Arizona. Uh, but no, I felt like they 
guys were more comfortable. And, you know, Chuck had mentioned guys like Pallier. Like, they weren't even in there. Um, and he made it, I think he made it work with some of the guys that were available. There was definitely some talent there. We saw Marlon Tuipilotu just kill it the, in the early part of the season. And then kind of other positions started filling in and playing their roles a little bit better. But I feel like if you just watch them, they just look like a more cohesive unit later in the season. It wasn't just like, I'm not looking at like the numbers, like, oh, yeah, they did this against Washington State. And, yeah, I'm, I'm just saying they looked like they knew what they were doing towards the end of the season, something you could translate to any time you go out there and take the field, where we just didn't, it didn't look that way early on. It just looked like something wasn't quite clicking, and then it started to click later in the season. I think that was a little bit of just experience with the defense, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Kingsley on YouTube said, uh, the 2021 football season is looking great, and I hope USC does really well, but... If USC does do really well, is there a danger that Clay Helton might get a contract extension? What are your thoughts? People are like, I think that's their biggest fear. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's not that Clay Helton will return. It's that he's going to get another extension. And I would, I would be willing to bet just about anything that he will not get an extension after 2021 if they're not showing off national championship rings. Like that would you know like I don't think a playoff run would get Clay Helton an extension because his contract goes through twenty twenty three. He wouldn't have to do anything. I think they would probably still wait another year. That would be my guess, but uh I, I don't think you have to worry about well they won the Pac twelve South, so he got an extension. I, I just don't think that's going to happen. Shoddy. Yeah, and I think when you do extend him you might it might be one year extensions. Like you just add one on every year. Yeah. Um which there's been some college basketball contracts, I think, that are, you know, when a coach goes through a season and another year is just automatically added on. It's really, like, that's not what kind of contract I need. You just automatically get that extra year added on your contract. doesn't matter if you did good or bad this year, but just add it on. Yeah. And I, whatever they do, we've seen this throughout the last, you know, year and a half or whatever since, you know, Mike Bone came on. They're smart contracts. Like, going out and get yeah. Dante Williams – they didn't have to overpay to get them, which if you were going to try to do it before, they definitely would have done that. I think they've had contracts that you know work for the people that they're hiring, but also work for USC. And if it was something for Clay Helton that they did give some kind of extension, there's going to be an out. Like if they go five and seven, he can be fired, you know, where they couldn't do that when Lin Swan gave him yeah. a fully guaranteed kind of thing. I don't think you would see something like that where you're going to handcuff yourself again yeah. to a coach that you couldn't get rid of. Yeah, it's definitely different. Shotgun, you look like you want to say something. No, there was a, there's another question. Okay, oh, you keep it. looking like you want to say something. Sorry. It's a completely different topic, but uh, there's th this thing comes up, and you know people talk about when EA went out, Pelley and Itote, the defense started playing better. There were players that didn't play well at all in those first two games, and they played better. Yes, I think it was a large part of that, and I think EA would have also taken a big step forward. The the, the coaching staff wouldn't have been talking him up the way they did in the fall camp um, if. He, if he wouldn't have made a similar jump to those guys. Kanai Malga played really bad the first two weeks, limited action the first week, bad the second week, and then took off and you know played much better the rest of the season. And then the same thing with Raylan Goforth. So I think that when you see the other two guys at the same position, when they really accelerated their game, it wasn't because EA was out of the game. I think it was because they started understanding the defense better in a first year in a defensive system. Yeah, if you go back, the turning point was basically that U of A game. And, and Todd Orlando said that as much. And that's the one game that EA then came out, had the concussion, and then never returned as a Trojan. So it's kind of a what-if scenario there. Yeah. It's so. similar to like what the Keaton Slovis and like JT Daniels thing was. Yeah. Now, that was from season to season. This really was they had no offseason. They were kind of learning the defense on the fly. The linebackers all looked terrible. 
And then EA goes out, but once they start clicking and he and Todd Orlando makes some adjustments and there was actually the linebacker position is actually a productive position, which it wasn't for the first couple of games. Yeah. If EA was in there, it would he would have been part of that production. He just didn't have that opportunity. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think it's a really oversimplification yep. to say that they went out and he's the reason why. Yeah. Yep. James on Facebook says, any word about the transfer portal? Are the Trojans going to try and add some more talent? I think left tackle is still the number one try to get you're going to try to get out of there so uh you know look for that um i don't know i'm not sure we'll see i mean i think they're always going to be in the market for stuff like that they do have like we talked about there's some spots but i think the number one priority would be if you can bring in a starting left tackle that's probably where they would go yeah they can't enroll anyone right now for the spring so it would be a commitment but you wouldn't get the the guy on campus but that's kind of the the switch off there. Yeah, I think Drew Richmond was a uh, summer. Summer. It was a summer guy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he didn't actually start with USC. I don't think actually until the fall camps. Like he, yeah, it was around in summer, so he was actually a fall semester admit. So yeah, the he, next time for USC to bring in those transfers in would be the summer semester. He was walking around during like the summer camps that they do that the players mm -hmm. uh, teach in, and then he was actually playing for the first time in fall. Uh, Jeff has a question for you, Shotgun. Does Isaiah Mobley stay or go? I think he should stay. I think he needs a little bit more time to develop. Uh, and that, that'll be a big question. That'll be a family decision, I think, because Evan's definitely gone. Does Isaiah now, with his brother gone, does he want to stick around another year? I still think he needs some more development. Mm -hmm. Mike on Facebook says, who's going to be the impact player on defense and on offense next season? Hmm. Interesting. Uh, yeah. I might go with like a Raylan Goforth as like, you know, coming in and, uh, being an impact player on the defensive side of the football. And, I mean, you know, outside of Keenan, Keenan Slovis is certainly going to be an impact player, but you might see someone like a Kyle Ford who just come in yep. and just, like, tear it up there. I don't know, but there's, I think there's a lot of options for that. But Todd Orlando loves that linebacker spot. I think it really upset him that they were not performing well and they started playing better. I think he can kind of grow into the leader, uh, one of the leaders on the defense with Talano Hufunga gone. So I'll, I'll pick him. Sade? I mean, Drake London seems like a pretty simple one uh, yeah. to throw out there. Uh, I, if we're not going with the obvious ones, then I think Katie Nixon, if they use him right, if they use him right, True. I think he can be really, uh, you know, can put up some really big numbers in this offense. Uh, so we'll see what they do with him there. On the defensive side, they need Drake Jackson to do that. He needs to take a step forward. You know, he only had two sacks this year. He's got to take that step forward. Uh, he played, you know, he had the interception, and, but he's got to be a more consistent player for them as a pass rusher. Uh, so uh, he's a guy that has to step forward. Another guy that really needs to step forward for this defense to play well is someone between Brandon Peely and Ishmael Shofshire. They need that nose mm -hmm. tackle to play well. Yeah. I was going to say Xavion Alford. He could be that guy. Yeah. Or Brew McCoy on offense. Just, you know, kind of throw a Brew McCoy. Or yeah. Brew McCoy if you want to throw him on defense for a couple sure. snaps. Hey, he didn't I'm close just, the door when I asked him I'm just it. saying. So you never know. Uh, we had a question from Jasper Smith on YouTube. Will the new offensive line coach, uh, Clay McGuire, name the starting five on the line, or is it Helton's call? I mean, I've asked this of uh, coaches in the past, and they've talked about it, and uh, Todd Orlando discussed, or maybe it was Vic Soto, about how they go about on the defensive side of ranking the players basically um, each week going into the game of from the position groups, rank them and say, okay, how much does this guy need to play type of thing. On the offensive side, it's, it's a group group decision. So it's going to come down to Graham Harrell as the offense coordinator. He's going to be having a say as well. But Clay Helton has the final say over anything he wants to have. He's the head coach. You know, if your boss man says that, no, you're putting that guy in, then you put that guy in. If Ryan says, 
you know, I got to write a, a, a football story instead of doing all basketball. And then, hey, I got to write a football story. Um, <laughs> you don't so, listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Clay McGuire will have a, a, the most input of anyone. He'll say, hey, these are the guys I think. But if Graham Harrell says, nah, this guy, we needed to be able to do this this week, you know, if you have a special type of thing, special formation or whatever, then that's the guy who'll be in there. Now, that doesn't translate well for the offensive line because usually those guys are the same all the time. But same thing there. It's going to come down to a group decision. They'll all be a part of it. Mm-hmm. We had a question, an interesting one from Dave, who says, uh, other things being equal, will an offense be better with, one, a three-star offensive line, and a five-star backfield, or two, a five-star offensive line, and a three-star backfield? This is a really interesting question when I yeah. saw it. Um, so, the, I mean, if you can open up a hole, then your running back can get some yards every time. doesn't matter who the running back is, yeah. three-star guy or five-star guy. But if you can't open up a hole, the five-star guy can still turn something, make something magical. You know, they can... You can Reggie Bush it and make a bunch of guys miss and still have a dramatic run. But more consistently, you want to get three or four yards, you know, even if that's it. You put a defense tackle back there, he can still pick up three or four yards if you can open up a hole every time. So I think you need the five-star offensive line more. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting question as well. And for me, the problem is it's like what is going on on the coaching side of things. So like if Junior, you know, if Juju Smith-Schuster comes in, he's a five-star and I'm his coach, he's still going to be really good despite me being a terrible coach. If I'm if he's a if it's a three-star guy coming in and I'm coaching him up, he's not getting any better. He's probably going to do very well. Same thing on the offensive line, but the offensive line that five-star lineman probably still needs a year of development a lot of times too. They, you know, you can bring in an all-five-star backfield and not coach them, and they're going to do great things. I think on the offensive, for the, the line guys, you need to develop them as well. You need to coach them. And we've seen U.S., you know, like a Chuma Doga come in as a five-star and really not get much better and get drafted because of potential more than production of, of college. So I think I'm going to go with the backfield just because they can come out and do their own things. USC's kind of done that for a while where you might not have had the offensive line develop, but you've had these great skill players, and they can still go out and make plays and make things happen. Interesting. So uh, I took it a little bit differently than you. I took it that, you know, they would play to a five-star level oh, okay. versus a three-star level, which it's just a different interpretation of the question. So I think our answers are both correct. However, I, I, I interpret it a little bit different. No, I, yeah, if, if you can, yeah, get them to, if you can coach them up to play at a higher level, I think you'd rather have that lower-ranked offensive line because you got to develop those guys anyway. But, yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. You're taking five-star offensive linemen every day. I don't care. But if you don't have good offensive linemen, it doesn't matter who you have in your backfield. I'm just saying. Uh, we have a question from Manuel who says, in goal line situations, can we please run the ball from under center? Shotgun, we heard Clay McGuire talk about it because you asked about it. What do you have to say? I did ask him if that would be an option because he had talked about the, the goal line and short yard situations. And he said it's something that's going to be in the discussion that he's going to talk to Harold about. So... That leaves the door open for it, at least. It wasn't a, it's not what we do here. <laughs> yeah. It's not what we do. That's right. True. It was definitely a different answer. So not to, it's it, not us. It's the like door not us. is open Sorry. for Mis- some, there. <laughs> yeah. some, for some under center. The door is now open for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, FP on YouTube says, staff seems to be focused on recruiting in Texas. Does this mean less scholarships for California kids? Ryan, you want to touch on it first? I, I mean, less scholarships is just, you know, 
the staff is very Texas heavy. Um, and there's some opportunities to, you know, bring in some recruits from there. They're only running back. Uh, they got in a class, uh, you know, coming out of Texas. I mean, when you got a guy like Dante Williams, you're going to be recruiting the heck out of California. They're trying to take back the West, all that kind of stuff. But I think it's just giving them more of a national uh, edge and, and, you know, some opportunities to recruit guys out of Texas. I don't think they're going to, you know, if there's some local high-ranked four-star guy, they're not saying no to him because there's some dude they like better in Texas. I mean, the bread's still going to be buttered in California, but they're definitely, you know, expanding and trying to recruit Texas hard, too. You've seen a lot of 2022, 20, 2023 20, offers go out that are in the southeast or in Texas. And part of that is that, you know, you're not seeing, the, you're not seeing a ton of those go out in Southern California is because Southern California hasn't played. You know, so coaches haven't seen that sophomore year or that freshman year of those kids. Uh, the tape to be able to see if they're worthy of that offer. But also, they're going to circle back around to local kids. You know, I think that's what's what's kind of going on right now is you're seeing a lot of offers, uh, you know, across the country, and they'll eventually work their way back to Southern California. I don't think they're forgetting about that group. However, you do kind of wonder every once in a while, is like, do they value kids in Texas maybe a little bit more than kids in, you know, that have similar ratings in our, you know, in our rankings and stuff? Do they value those kids in Texas a little bit more than the kids in Southern California? It's a little bit of a wonder. Not the top-end kids, not that you're five-star guys, not your Brew McCoy type guys, but... You know, that three-star, that four-star guy, that low four-star guy, do they see those as equal, you know, playing in Texas versus playing in Southern California? Yeah, it's tough because if you're like Anthony Beavers and you were like a highly ranked recruit, everyone knew who you were, but all those juniors, all those 22, they didn't get to play, you know, their junior year. They're going to their senior year. So unless they were a complete stud as a sophomore, it's a lot harder to recruit. So you're recruiting people you've seen, and as they see them go through – you know, football, then they'll be able to recruit those guys more. But it's it's tough for the players in California that didn't uh, have an opportunity to play. If you weren't already like a stud that everyone knew who you were when you were 15 years old, it's hard to get on, co you know, coaches' radar because you haven't played at all. Yeah, if you get a growth spurt, well, you can't really show coaches yet. Yeah. <laughs> hey, coach, I'm much taller now. I'm, you know, it's like I'm six five. And oh, like Jalen Jalen Smith. Yeah. Saying yeah. that he's uh, that he's working on getting taller by sleeping more. Yeah. <laughs> Good, good strategy. Um, I'm going to go into rapid fire. Ryan, if you want to get some Periscope questions, I don't know. If oh, sure. Let me pull some yeah. up. Yeah. Uh, Jeff on Facebook wanted to know, will Keenan Christen get more touches next season? Mike Jinks seems pretty adamant from his talk with the LA Times that he wants to be a one back, you know, one feature back guy. And I just don't see that, you know, the way they use him this year, I don't see how he jumps over three other guys. Yeah. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. But the way that he was barely used at all this season doesn't make me doesn't give you a lot of confidence to say, hey, he's going to jump over Vi, he's going to jump over Stephen Carr and jump over the new guy that we just brought in. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, Ryan. A bunch of the Periscope was talking about um, as far as Tyler the Tyler Shuck stuff. People are saying that Mario Cristobal, you know, pushed him out. Definitely mentioned Anthony Brown, who we saw throw a couple touchdowns against USC, but it was really just kind of a spot duty thing, and we saw him more in the Fiesta Bowl, but it would be a pretty big, you know, change of, of how the offense goes of what, you know, if they were going to go from a guy like Tyler Shuck to Anthony Brown, maybe that's what they do. There's been speculation they bring in one of the freshmen or something, so we'll see uh, what happens there. But they, people are talking about what Oregon's scheme going to be. It'll be different, though, if you're going to see a guy like Anthony Brown running the entire offense as opposed to coming in like kind of a wildcat situation, which we saw uh, in the Pac-12 championship game. 
So I want to get your guys' thoughts on this comment on Facebook. It's from Terrence who says, If Bryce Young had kept his commitment to USC, I'd be happy as a Trojan fan. Keaton Slovis is not the answer for our quarterback concerns. I feel like that's harsh. <laughs> it's a little harsh. I mean, he's a five-star dude. He's uh, actually top three like as far as like odds to win the Heisman next year just because he's going to you know potentially be Alabama's starting quarterback. Definitely uh, a, and a crazy talent. But we've seen Keaton Slovis be crazy good too in college you've already seen it like if you had to pick right now what would you guys like would you take bryce young this unproven guy or keen slopes you know have has you know you know thrown for uh 400 yards multiple games in, in college football like i don't know i think i might go with slovis right now you know, over young i don't do what would you guys think shotgun i'd take alabama's offensive line without the question yeah. <laughs> i mean that's what's going to come down to when you look at those you compare those two guys next year is that Bryce Young is going to be behind a, you know, an offensive line that protects him really well. Um, if you're looking at him just straight up, I mean, Keaton Slovis has experience. He fits in this offense really well. I think Bryce Young could as well. But you would take the guy that has more experience and you know that he can put up big numbers if you protect him. Exactly. Uh, Jasper Smith on YouTube says, I know it's early. However, based on what we know as of today, who starts at linebacker next season? I mean, do you see anybody jumping over? Raylan, go forth and can I Malga? I don't think so. You have to see it in camp. I mean, did. we've had a couple of updates the last couple of war rooms on different linebackers and their health. So if you're not a subscriber, you might want to subscribe and check that out. Uh, that might give you a little bit more information about where the linebacker group is going. But, you know, until I see guys healthy out there, you know, I, I'm going to stick with the two guys that were there already. Yeah. We have a, from SC Rink, uh, basketball question. Will, it, will there be a Pac-12 tournament? In Las Vegas. Yes, there's going to be a basketball tournament in Las Vegas. Um, they, the NC, I mean, the Pac-12 is still not released like a bracket or anything because yeah. Arizona's not going to be in it. So it could be an 11-team bracket. Is everyone going? That's been a conversation in college basketball recently is, you know, do you need to have all the teams at, an, at a college basketball uh, conference tournament or should it just be a couple of the, should be the top four, top six, top eight teams rather than having an entire conference? just with you know all the restrictions and stuff. So those things haven't been really decided, but as of now, there still will be a Pac-12 tournament in Las Vegas. Uh, the Pac-12 tournament you traveled to and then traveled back. <laughs> yes, last year, that's exactly what happened. The, the day that the sports world shut down, I had flown to Vegas. I basically got a Sprinkles cupcake out of a machine and flew back. That was my, my entire trip. I stayed that's in the airport. Trip. I was going to say, that's a, you know. Flew to Vegas for a cupcake. I mean, what a, what a great trip. What a great you could have lost like $500. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got a cupcake out of that. Yeah, so uh, it's going to be interesting to see. But one of the things that tells me that this decision may not come in for a, a few more weeks still, even though we're, we're running up on when the conference tournament will happen, it's a month away basically from Selection Sunday, is that – You've seen some of these rescheduled games be rescheduled like four days in advance. So, you know, I think that happened with USC. They're switching with the Stanford game. That one got happened a couple days in advance. So, you know, they're still trying to figure out how to get Oregon back on the schedule to finish out the conference schedule. So there's some things still in the work there. So I think the Pac-12 is kind of monitoring it, see what they can do. And they'll probably make a decision closer to that date rather than putting something out there early and then having to change their mind later. Oscar on YouTube says, does USC really have a chance to get JT Tulumalau? Yes, I mean, they're in the mix. You know, Corey Foreman's recruiting him. Uh, you've got all the guys 
You got Julian Simon, who's a good friend of his. I went to Eastside Catholic with him, I believe, off the top of my head, another uh, 707 teammates. So, yeah, USC's still in the mix. They're going to have a chance. It's going to be interesting. The dead peers get moved back again, it sounds like, with the NCAA. I don't know if that was official, Ryan, or not. Um, I didn't see it be official yet, but I thought that's what's going to happen. So, if that happens, you know, one of the things that he's been waiting on is to be able to go on official visits and thought that was going to be able to happen in April. It gets pushed back again. Does he decide, okay, I'm not going to be able to make, take the visits. I'm just going to go ahead and make a decision. Or does he continue to wait it out? I mean, he's good enough that teams will keep a scholarship available if they think that they're still in contention for it. Yeah. Dave Rice wanted to know, is USC's Boulevard Studios allowed to do hype recruitment videos for USC sports other than football? Could they help with basketball recruiting? As far as I know, it's just football. I mean, they could do whatever they want. Yeah. But sure. the, the partnership is basically for the football program. Yeah. D.D. Diego says, why did Chris... L- Claiborne leave. So he could go be a position coach, yeah. an on-field coach, versus a guy stuck in the analyst room while the team is, you know, being practicing. Got a promotion, and uh, yeah. that's that's what it comes down to. And I wouldn't knock USC for not giving him that promotion. I think you want to use those positions to bring in former players. They brought it. They recently brought in Toa Lobendon to be a graduate assistant. Uh, you want to do that and give them some opportunity to kind of grow as coaches. And if they get hired away somewhere else, that's fine. And then, you know, if, if he ends up being a really great linebacker coach at Arizona State for a couple of years, maybe USC hires him back after he's been proven out as a linebacker coach. So I think yeah. they're doing it the right way. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Uh, Coley says, how comfortable are you with Matt Fink in case Keaton Slovis is injured? Is there another QB you think might take the number two spot in 2021? Yeah, honestly, I think, if you, I think it comes down to the situation. If it's spot duty... You know, Keaton Slovis gets hurt in a game. Matt Fink will go in um, if he sticks around. I mean, Clay Helton kind of said that all the seniors are staying, but, you know, it was kind of confusing the way he said it too. So uh, if he sticks around, I think that you put it Fink in. But if you're going, he gets injured in the next week if you're available, I think you probably go one of those freshmen. I think they're going to come in and, and do really well, especially getting a chance to come in early and get to work like uh, both of those guys have so far. And Graham Harrell has shown that he's not afraid to put a true freshman as number two, so – that's true yeah um we had a question from john who says how scary does the defensive line look on paper on paper it looks pretty good yeah still some guys that need to prove themselves um it looks uh, let me take that back it looks okay some of the guys that are producing are actually not highly rated guys look like nick figueroa tuli tupelotu caleb tremblay those aren't you know big five-star guys however nick figueroa gets to the quarterback and gets sacks Tuli Tuli Pelotu got a sack every four and a half pressures that he had. So, uh, you know, those guys have performed for you. Now, you're adding Corey Foreman. That's a big plus. You're adding Ishmael Softshire. That should help shore up the, you know, Marlon Tuli Pelotu leaving. Can you add JT Tuli Now you're talking about on paper it looks really, really good. Yeah. I think what does Drake Jackson do if he's going to be uh, six, seven, eight? whatever sack kind of guy, I think it makes a big difference in, you know, having two sacks in, in six games. So if he's getting pressure on the quarterback, I think it opens up opportunity for other guys. But like Chuck had said, guys like Caleb Tremblay, like they were productive players that maybe you weren't counting a lot on. So they weren't yep. maybe as sexy out there, but they were, they were pretty productive. This you got, Drake Jackson needs to, it needs to be more than six. Sack. He needs to be nine. He needs to be flirting with double digits next year. Yeah. And hope maybe with Corey Foreman coming in, if you put him on, you know, on opposite sides, when you know you go to some pass rush situations, since they're technically playing the same position, you get them both in there. Maybe that opens some things up. 
Hunter Eccles, if he can help open some things up for him, you know, we need Drake Jackson getting, you know, flirting with that double digit sack total. Yeah. Shotgun Boomer Assassin really wants to know why is your desk a cardboard box? Because otherwise, my, the computer will be way further down. I don't want to be looking straight down the entire time for the show. So I boosted it up, my desk, you know, to add a cardboard box on top of it just to get a little more height. A little boost. I think Coley was putting that, like, that he gave me crap because uh, Colin Coward said we didn't have a uh, coffee maker in here. We were sent one, though. We have a coffee maker now, so we have, like, a Keurig. But, yeah, that's this is just, like, our kind of – we don't usually use that back room where Shotgun is. That's but a COVID – It's a COVID thing, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, Improvisation. Thank you. I knew you were going to come in with that. Uh, <laughs> shockingly, this question was not asked by Coley. It's from Dave. He says, do you think USC and Notre Dame should schedule a, a game to be played in Dublin, Ireland? If I can cover it, yes. <laughs> Uh, I think it makes more sense when they do it with like an East Coast school than a West Coast school. Like that's a long haul for a for a West Coast team. That's so lame. What a lame answer. No, yeah, th- there's already a tradition story back and forth playing each other's. Uh, you know, take Boston College or somebody. Take somebody like yeah. that. What did they have scheduled? Which, was it Navy which, or like, something they were going to do? And yeah, and, I think it. There was something. It might have been. It was somebody they were going to play. I forget who they were going to play. They were going to play someone in Ireland. And Take like Boston College has a strong – Boston has a strong Irish oh, yeah. history. Like that seems like it would be a much better fit. But you're not taking – you're not going to take, I don't know, Georgia and say, hey, come play USC in Australia. Like, no, you're going to take somebody that's on the West Coast already. You're not going to make someone travel yeah. all the way across the country. You're going to find a middle ground for those type of things. Okay, but what if it's fun? You're taking the fun would, out of it. Sorry, that would be fun. <laughs> Sure, we would like to cover the game no, regardless of who they play. In general, it would be fun, whether or not I'm covering it, but whatever. Nick on <laughs> YouTube said, do you guys think that the poor run game was due to bad offensive linemen or poor offensive run design? Yes. <laughs> Yikes. I would agree with that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> A little bit of both. It was both, yeah. Ulao uh, Ulao wants to know, do you think the PRPs will be available to the public? They're barely available to us. No, so yeah, no. I don't think, yeah, there's, there's, they're not letting the public on campus for anything right now anyway. So, I, yeah, that won't be available to the public. Um, AB wanted to know what's the story on the quarterback out of Sarah? Uh, that'd be Malik Murphy, who's the number two overall pocket passer in somebody's rankings. I don't remember which one I saw. Uh, maybe I was just scrolling on the bottom line that said that. Uh, but, you know, obviously a, a big-time player, 6'4 guy, but he hasn't started in high school yet. Because as a sophomore, he was behind Doug Brumfield, who played at UNLV this past year. He didn't get to play his junior year. So still waiting to see him play in a game, uh, you know, and start in a game and see what he can do for, for Sarah there. But he committed to Texas yesterday. I don't know what day it is. Yes, Saturday. He, he committed yesterday or Saturday, whichever one of those is. If they're the same, Both, great. They're the same. Um, but this was a big pickup for Texas and Sarkeesian because they had lost Quinn Ewers, who is the number one quarterback and number one player in the country, um, earlier he had decommitted from Texas, and I think he's committed to Ohio State now or if he if he has recommitted. But they lost him, so they needed to get a big-time quarterback, and Malik Murphy could potentially be that for him. Texas has always been a school. I've talked to him for, you know, I've known the kid for a few years now, and Texas was always in the mix because, you know, some of the staff from Ohio State had gone to Texas, so then he got, you know, really close with the Texas staff and really fell in love with it there. So I'm not surprised to see him commit there, even with a new staff. Mm-hmm. Shark Ranger wanted to know how would pushing back spring practice so it gives USC two weeks break before fall camp practice. It's not a full complete sentence, so sorry about this. Or would that create too many injuries? I think that's his suggestion. 
So uh, if I'm reading this correctly, is he saying that they should move back spring practice, you know, into the summer, basically, and then have spring practice for a month, take two weeks off, and then have fall practice? I just I don't think the NCAA is going to allow that. I don't know what the no. restrictions are on the spring practices, but I think there's still some specific dates that it has to be done by. And that's for the well-being of the athletes. Yeah, you need some time off. And obviously, any kind of injury that happens in spring football, if it's an ACL, uh, you're not going to play probably that year. But there's other injuries you can have that you're out a month or two, and you can still come back and play in the fall. If you do something like that, and you 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 have an injury in spring football that's going to keep you out two months, you're missing game time. So I don't think they want uh, a situation like that. But it's not going to be – you need some time off. They need that summer – um, you know, period where they're going to do a lot of the player run workouts and things like that. So I, I don't think having spring and fall two weeks apart would do much and uh, be beneficial for teams. I wonder what coaches would say about that. Hey, do you want a two-month fall camp or do you want a month in the spring and a month in the fall? And I think depending on where your program is at is how you would answer that question. You know, if you're a young group that, hey, we want to put in spring, we want to install stuff, we want to see and then be able to teach for a little while and then go straight to fall camp, if you're a Nick Saban, you know, juggernaut program, then you just want to have, you know, two months of fall camp and be so ready for that first game that there's no way that you'll lose. Yeah. You lose some of the benefit of bringing those players into early on campus too. Yeah. the uh, spring enrollees. So. Already got more questions before we wrap it up. Torian on YouTube said, do you think USC will see more blitzing next season with all the new personnel? I think that you're going to get a lot of blitzing regardless. Of the personnel, I think that's just the the offense. I mean, the defensive scheme of Todd Orlando is that he wants to bring pressure and he wants to bring it from a lot of different places to kind of try to keep uh, offenses on their toes and confused. Leonard wants to know who will the captains be next year. Ooh. I'll, I'm going to venture and say Isaiah Polamau. Probably him. Really Keaton's stepping fun. out there since he was a captain last Shocking. year. Shocking. Keaton. Uh-huh. Keaton. Isaiah. Isaiah. Maybe Brett Nealon. Maybe. Uh-huh. I can see that. Could be Brett Nealon. Uh, who else on defense would it be? It could be Drake Jackson. Sure. That's kind of a camp thing. You can kind of tell in camp. You're like, okay, it's going to be those guys. Yeah. Shotgun is thinking hard right now. <laughs> I'm just, you know, Kanai Malga might be a guy. Oh. Jalen McKenzie or something. Or... You never know. And final question. Nick for, has a question for Shotgun, and he says, what was the biggest single factor for USC's poor rushing attack, and what are sort of some changes they can make to improve? Blocking. Block better. <laughs> I mean, you can have a terrible design, and as long as you still block everyone like it's intended, you can have a simple design. Let me say that. You can have a simple design. As long as you still block everyone, you're still going to pick up yards. But if you don't block people and you allow people to get off of their blocks and you don't finish your blocks, then you know, you're not going to be – even with the best design, you're not going to be able to get you know a yardage out of it. So it's it's – Pretty simple, but hat on a hat. It's the physicality, blocking, and pushing people backwards. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Alrighty, guys. Any final thoughts before we wrap this one up on a special Valentine's Day edition? Yeah, happy Valentine's, Valentine's Day, everybody. Uh, I mean, Ula Ula wants to know what our favorite food in LA is. He likes Howlin' Rays, and since it's Valentine's Day, I mean, did you guys have a favorite one? Like, I just had Philippe's, the French dip, the other day. <laughs> That's so good. I love that stuff. <laughs> favorite like sit- I, Lowry's. I love that sit down meal. Like when you do the the Rose Bowl one, you're not a big fan. I love I, the prime rib. I was so hyped up in the Rose salad. Bowl game. I was just like, eh, it's there's okay. so many good options here in LA. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I just had Philippe's that you know a couple of days ago. Big fan of that one. 
you guys, anything I, I prefer Coles over Philippe's, but that's just me. You know, they have sweet potato fries that are delicious as well. Okay. Spicy sweet potato fries. Uh, I used to live right by it, so I was able to go walking, walk over to Coles, which was kind of dangerous for the for the rest of the body. <laughs> um, but uh, I mentioned in uh, my last podcast that uh, one of my favorite local restaurants, so Spumoni and Sherman Oaks, one of my favorite spots, great owner, takes care of me every time I go in there. You guys uh, tell him, you know, shotgun, you might get some free tiramisu. Who knows? Like, yeah, go. go tell him shotgun sent you there. <laughs> They're going to be like, what? Yeah, no, that makes sense. <laughs> um, I would just say tacos in general. I don't Ooh, really yeah. have like a sp- Leo's taco truck if I have to say one. I don't know. Any, it's pretty good taco. town for tacos, you know. True. Very It's a really true. good burger town, too. I mean, it's like it's just LA's just like it's a burger town, too. <laughs> Is it? What? Oh, yeah. There's a lot what of awesome burgers. burgers. Yeah, like. Dude, Google it. LA's like, <laughs> dude, Google it. <laughs> okay, I will be sure to Google it. Spits um, for Mediterranean. You know, it, it depends on what food category you want to be in because that's what's so great about LA. It's, it's so diverse and there's so much unique food in the city as well. Sure. I'm a big fan. Sure. I haven't been to, uh, it's up on, on Fairfax. It's, there's like an Ethiopian district. Have you ever gone up there? Yep. Any, that's, I mean, that's some good stuff. There's stuff like that all over Everywhere. the place. Yeah. I mean, the largest like Vietnamese population down in I, Orange County, you know, like, Outside of Vietnam, like you can go down there and get amazing pho and all that stuff. I mean, there's just so many good options all around. I, I love you know LA food. I'll mention Howland Rays, another great downtown area um, restaurant, and also Park's Finest uh, Filipino barbecue, terrific. Yeah, what's the uh, you know Morton? I mean, not Morton's. Uh, what's the what's the uh, cool steak place this? Um, in LA. What? God, I can't remember. Mastro's? Mastro's, yeah, I love that one too. What's the, uh, the. I wasn't even going to try because I mess up the name every single time. <laughs> he does. Yeah, what's he the does. downtown? Which is one? where they take all the USC uh, prospects on their official visits. And stuff. Shotgun, what's the place that the downtown, like, kind of. Uh, it's almost like a, there's, like, all these different restaurants or whatever in this in this oh, area. Oh, yeah. We, I, we, we went the there. Area? Before. Oh, uh, uh, I went the Grand there Central Market. Grand yeah. Central Market, yeah. That's pretty neat. Like, it's LA not being. There's not like an L.A. Central a lot, but the, having stuff like that makes it more kind of a, a regular city feel. Because L.A. is just spread out. You have like neighborhoods and stuff. But that does give it more of like a downtown mm-hmm. kind of feel. It was so good. There was like six restaurants that were walking distance when I lived downtown that were on the top 101. Jonathan Gold's 101. R.I.P. John Gold. Oh, yeah. uh-huh. There you go. Already wrapping up with some food. That's, yeah, that's... I thought it was a good of way Of course, Ryan would want to jump into the food conversation. <laughs> of course. I'm surprised I, I, that it, well, their analogy desserts. didn't jump out of that somehow. True. We got a lot of... Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, suggestions in the uh, YouTube uh, chat room. So cool. Okay, nice. Yeah. Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up. That's Shotgun. That's Ryan. I'm Keely. Ryan, we'll be back next week, correct? Next week, baby. Let's do it. (laughs) We did it on Valentine's Day. We just skipped the Super Bowl. That's all. We're not going to skip, you know, I don't know what next week is, but we'll do it, whatever it is. Sounds good. February 21st. Yeah. (laughs) A great day indeed. Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up. We'll see y'all next week. Bye. See ya. Okay. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road, any road, the steeper the better. Because my all new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.